podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, welcome back to the TMBA podcast, where uh, we talk about financial freedom through building a small lifestyle business. And by small, I'm not talking about small money, boss man. No? What are you talking about? Under 100 employees. Oh, okay. It's pretty big. When I'm talking about small businesses, it's an interesting question. I'm talking about businesses that don't have boards, generally speaking. Like if you look on Wikipedia, a small business is defined as things like below 250 employees. So it all depends on like sort of the industry and the time period even. But for the purposes of this show, I tend to think of small businesses as ones that, you know, don't depend on like PE firms or large capital investors in order to get started. I think of businesses with small teams, less than 50 people, 100 people. I think of bootstrapped entrepreneurs seeing their vision happen in the world. And that's different from like, quote, business, which is this sort of much broader category, you know, that represents many of the corporations that we deal with, banks and stuff like that. It's sort of a whole different ballgame. And I think, you know what? Business people give have been given entrepreneurs a bad name since day one, you know? <laughs> I personally believe that entrepreneurs share more in common with artists and creative people than business people people or people that quote work in businesses we're working on a race car here over at my house dan we're on a team that does endurance racing so you have to run the car for eight hours a day i'm just laughing because like when you say house it doesn't appropriately communicate what you're trying to say to the audience i mean you've got cars everywhere got cars everywhere man but as it relates to business it was on a thursday fortunate enough to be uh, working outside during part of the day on a Thursday. One of the guys that came over, he has a job in a corporation. And he had to show up for a meeting at 1 p.m. And he had to like basically leave his laptop open the whole time we were working connected to Wi-Fi. So his boss or his whatever thought that he was working all day. And I just thought like that's the definition of non-small business for me, or at least like emerging small business. That depends on results, not your ass in your chair. So the small business that I think we appeal to, or that at least I would like to appeal to, Dan, are those people that are results-oriented, those people that everyone on the team makes a difference. Everyone on the team is a contributing member to the project. These are the types of businesses I hope we're reaching. And to me, I think it's important, too, to say that there's a small amount of innovation even if you are doing a more traditional business, maybe you're doing it for new types of customers. We're not talking about you know just opening up a pizzeria on Main Street here. We're talking about leveraging technology to do something fresh for the marketplace. And those are the people that get really unique returns. This stuff, if you're listening to this and you understand what we're talking about, know that you're in an extraordinary minority of any society. One of the interesting things about these small lifestyle businesses is that you only need a very incredible minority of the world to believe in your vision 
in order to make this lifestyle a reality. Like there are many, many people with a successful, innovative lifestyle business that have 50 customers. And we're talking about a world with billions of people. So you can sit down and dream up something that can affect 50 people in a profound way to make their lives or businesses better. And that could be your ticket. And that's a really freeing thought when you know, people are talking about the machinations of society or things like politics or the difficulty of getting jobs and managing a career. As an entrepreneur, you can sort of step back from all that and you say, hey, are there 10 or there are 100 or there are 1,000 people that I can really make a difference for? And could they be my ticket to a lifestyle with more personal and financial freedom? Correct. And, you know, when we're talking about corporations versus small businesses, a lot of these corporations, especially if they're established, they have to develop a product for 10,000 people, 100,000 people, a million people, whatever it is, to be able to stay in business because that's the kind of scale that they need to achieve. That'll also tell you a little bit about, maybe in some cases, how normal these products are too, how unexceptional these products are too, because they have to appeal to that many people. Now, that being said, Dan, when you're talking about serving 50 clients, 100 clients, 1,000 clients, something like that, it can be a very custom-tailored approach to solving their problems. Final thing I'll say about that, Dan, is when you have only 50 customers, when you have only 100 customers, something like that, which a lot of these small businesses do, your number one job is to solve their problems first, especially if you're starting a new business. You solve their problems first, and then you worry about yourself. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of entrepreneurs get that wrong. They try and solve their own problems first. They try and think about what they think the problems are in the market versus going to them, actually understanding what the problems are, solving that problem, and then building your business. Does that make sense how that goes? Makes sense. Let's get moving on to today's topic. Before I do, got an email from a listener requesting more personal life updates from Dan and Ian. Can you believe it? No. True story. How about just real quick, give me the update. Where is the boss, man? What's going on in your life? I'm in Austin, Texas, just for a couple of days after being back from Spain and headed off to Crested Butte, Colorado for a uh, what I think will turn out to be an epic dirt bike trip. Your second summer vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're going out for about a week, going out with a couple dudes. I've never ridden out there, but I've heard it's some of the best dirt biking in the country. But it's also at elevation, so it's going to be a little bit challenging. And it's also in the middle of nowhere, so there's that too. And it's also becoming winter up there, so the cold is coming in. I will be packing my emergency kit. Very cool. Well, I'm back on the East Coast. It's good to have you on speed dial, boss man. Even those few hours of the time zone does affect how often we're calling each other, sharing horrible ideas. That's what, basically what happens. There's just more bad ideas going back and forth between the two of us. Hey, man, I just thought of this in the shower. I just want to run it by you. <laughs> I like that. I like the having boss man on speed dial. I like getting a chance to see the fam. You know, did Labor Day at home. And for me, the theme of the rest of the year is really we have a bunch of amazing events in Asia for the rest of the year. As you know, Ian, the travel schedule for so many entrepreneurs and conferences is very seasonal. And sort of the wintertime is where Asia tends to shine. And so I'll be spending the winter in Asia this year again, getting mentally prepared and packed up and, and ready to make that uh, transition. All right, Ian, this week's episode is entitled Five Reasons You Won't 
be an entrepreneur next year? Will not. Will not. Out of the game. You know, you can look at this positively or negatively. I think we're going to throw some curveballs during this episode. Ian, look, we've been around the block a few times, and I'm willing to acknowledge there's upsides and downsides to having a dusty old perspective. Maybe we're not up on all the new hip fangled Snapchatters or whatever, but I will say this. We've seen a lot come and we've seen a lot go, and there's something about you know standing the test of time that's absolutely central to the entrepreneurial journey. Like every sustainable path to wealth and freedom I've seen, this is a journey that takes years, often decades, and you know, not one that's a flash in the pan. And so sustainability is a really critical thing. So if you want to make it work, taking a look at these five reasons and asking yourself if you can identify with any, if maybe there's hedges you can make against some of these five reasons, then you can further sustain your journey as an entrepreneur. Number one, you aren't desperate enough. Desperation. This is sort of a a bummer. But I got to say, entrepreneurship is so very hard that oftentimes it's not something you can just sort of walk down the grocery store of life options and choose prepackaged sort of lives off of the shelf. You know, you know, I've spoken with people that, you know, you see things like this on, you know, presented on blogs and on social media, like, oh my gosh, that's the quote, digital nomad lifestyle, or that's the location independent entrepreneur lifestyle. And it's almost like it's a consumable item. I've talked to people who've had a little bit of it, and they often express feelings of, like, I feel like it was meaningless, or I, it was this, or that I, I didn't understand like why I couldn't find my place in it. And one of the things that occurred to me is that meaning often comes from need. I needed to like feed my young family, and so I struggled to feed them. And by the way, like while I was doing that, was I like, yeah, this is really meaningful. Like I'm struggling to feed my kids. No, you're struggling to feed your kids, you know? <laughs> and then after you feed your kids, you look back and you say, you know what? That was really something. And now like, I'm a father, I'm a mother. Like I did something with my life, you know? Like you don't pick it off the shelf, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the reason why people pick it off the shelf, Dan. There's all kinds of information products. There's all kinds of seminars. There's all kinds of conferences that make money leading you to believe that you can just pick this entrepreneurial life off the shelf and it can just be something that you choose to do, which you can. And it's going to lead to uh, tons of riches and tons of happiness. Flashback to my story, which didn't start that long ago, but... Tell me about the depths of your desperation. That's what I need to hear about. Yeah, exactly. About 10 years ago. Well, I think it's important because we weren't just like sitting around thinking like, oh, how can we create a better life for ourselves? You know, There was a little bit of that, but it started with me going to college for four years, getting a degree, getting out of college, searching for eight or nine months to find a job, landing that job finally, and then like six to eight months into that job, realizing that my boss is a bonehead (laughs) and that I was never going to get anywhere in the organization if I was underneath him. And then even if I was his boss, the thought of me sitting in that office building that we were in, Dan, for like the next 10 to 15 years building my career while making incremental increases in salary, 
it was a nightmare. Like I felt so betrayed, so lost by everything I had worked for up until that point. And I just thought, this is awful. Like I did not do all this work in school and like to get to this point, you know? Yeah, I was there. I can confirm the nightmare. Meanwhile, I, I didn't realize that all the work to be done was ahead, you know? Yeah. In this entrepreneurial journey. My back was so far into that wall that like I felt like I had no other options. And I think that that's a great place for people to start if you want to get into entrepreneurship. But it's also a difficult place because it's one that you can find yourself in that you can't necessarily put yourself in, if that makes sense. There's real risk. It's not in a piece of advice you're giving. It's, it's just an observation. It was pretty bad, like you said, you know? And we didn't have a lot of good options on the table. And the reality is, is a lot of people do. That a lot of people that are in the grocery store of life options are only there because, let's stick with the metaphor for a little while, they've got food stamps. Yeah. Sometimes you got to ask the question, like, how valuable is this backstop, really? Sometimes backstops are real, like insurance policies, you need them. But sometimes they're also a crutch that will keep you where you're at. Yeah. And keep in mind, Dan, back in those days, like we literally had nothing to lose because we had nothing to show for anything, hardly. We both had a little bit of a debt and things like that, but we didn't have a family or anything like that. So for us, like the backstop wasn't providing anything. It was just a backstop, right? So it was like, oh, I can get this same shitty job anytime I want. <laughs> but what am I really going to do about my situation, you know? All right, Ian. So number one, you aren't desperate enough. So again, we're talking about the five reasons that you won't be an entrepreneur this time next year. The number two of five is that your business failures have made you more employable. Here's a crazy one for you because... Back when I was in that office, I had this enormous fear in my life called a resume gap. Oh, yeah. I don't know if people from every country can relate to this, but at least in my generation and in America, you know, say your first job is like January 2000 to, you know, January <laughs> 2005. And then your next job is like January 2007. That gap between those two dates, like you could insert like the most vile imagery, like, you know, images of person doing the most irresponsible things you can imagine. It was just like something that you'd imagine every hiring manager, every potential boss, just like this person is unserious about their lives, unserious about their career. And you're never coming back from it. You're never coming back from it. <laughs> Here's the funny thing about a resume gap. I imagine those people looking at that gap and then they have half a mind to be jealous, right? Because what happened during that time, I couldn't do. The other half of mine is like, how productive are they going to be in this organization if those are the kinds of traits that they have? In either situation, I want to run as far away as possible as I can from those people in those types of organizations. Here's the other thing that I think is interesting about that situation, you know, if companies still adhere to that kind of policy, which I'm not sure if they do or not, they might be missing out on some great people. Along the same lines, if you're not hiring the person that took a sabbatical for two years, you're probably also the kind of person that's only hiring college graduates. And a lot of major corporations, Facebook, Google, Apple, they've all dropped that requirement. Dan, I can't even remember the last time we asked for a college degree when someone went to apply for us. So I think times are changing there, Dan. And I'm not sure if it's practical for these companies to be so discriminatory. 
part of the reason I bring up this point, Ian, is to give those of you that are thinking about leaving a career, maybe an extra reason to put in the pro column of doing so. Because I have seen it happen so many times that going on the entrepreneurial journey gives you so many marketable, valuable skills to so many interesting people that you now know, because by the way, you're not sitting in an office in some random business park, nine to five every day, you're actually able to move around and spend time with people and things. Now, all of a sudden, you're super employable. So it's a matter of like, well, why am I going to go through all this stress of starting my own business when I can sort of pick and choose the jobs that are available to me and I, I can do them remotely. So it is true. And this is a trend that continues to grow. Maybe the reason you won't be an entrepreneur next year is that, man, you find yourself a really sweet job. And that happens a lot. Today's show is sponsored by Empire Flippers. They're the leading specialist in helping entrepreneurs buy, sell, and invest in online businesses. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Empire Flippers integrated, dedicated teams make sure that you're supported at every stage in the process. And they have a huge audience and great contacts in the industry. So for sellers, you're going to secure a higher price than if you were to sell privately. And if you're a buyer, they're going to save you a ton of time and money by carefully vetting all the businesses on their marketplace. So whether you're looking to buy or sell anything from $20,000 up to seven figures, check out empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And if you go there, you can save yourself 300 bucks. That's because today for TMBA listeners, the Empire Flippers have offered a free business valuation, which normally costs $300. So if you're looking to acquire a business, new offerings are posted every Monday morning. So that's empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And a huge thanks to the team over at Empire Flippers for supporting the TMBA podcast. Point number three out of the five reasons that you won't be an entrepreneur next year is that you decide at some point to trade in the existential hustle for what we're going to call the political hustle. And I know we talk about, I think the sort of charter of our show, Ian, is that entrepreneurship is so amazing. But the reality is, is that it's just one thing you can do with your life. There's a lot of things you could do with your life. And yeah, I mean, I think it's the greatest thing in the world that I'm able to, you know, I'm here with my family for a month. That's amazing. Like when I was living in California, I had two or three weeks of vacation and you know, you go to a couple of weddings and you do something with your partner and then all of a sudden you don't, you don't have time to, to, why are you laughing at the wedding? I'm laughing because it's like, when you say you were living in California, it was like, you chose to live out there, right? Look, there aren't a lot of jobs where I grew up, dude. That's the other thing. California on paper looks like a great place to go, but it's also a place where young professionals can try to get a job and build a career for themselves if you're ambitious, you know? And in the area where I grew up, there's not a lot of opportunities like that. And so, yeah, I did relocate far from my family. <laughs> it's not like you're really sacrificing something, right? Like a lot of people still, even today, they like move away from their family to find a better place to get a job. And then they like send as much money back as they can to their family to support their family. Maybe they're making US dollars and sending it back in you know, a currency that isn't as strong, something like that. It's funny to hear you tell that story, right? Like you moved away to prosper in California. 
but really it was like it was all you're doing, right? Yeah. It was something that you wanted to do for yourself. But I think what's interesting about that is like because you were making so many sacrifices, I think a lot of times we don't even get to enjoy the spoils. So like you said, you were working for this company in California and you only had two weeks of vacation. You weren't making that much money, right? At the time. So it's like, what are we all working towards here? Like I'm away from my family. I'm not making that much money. And I've got two weeks of vacation. Like, is that a good life? And I think that's one of the conclusions that we came to going back to uh, point number one, which is like, am I desperate enough? Like, is all this worth it? Is it really worth it to be away from my family to make a decent salary? I don't know. Totally. And look, on the positive side of the thing, making a little bit of scratch from entrepreneurship is only one of the reasons people get into this game. A lot of it is freedom, creativity, flexibility. And one of the great things about being an entrepreneur that we don't talk about enough on this program is not having to put up with other people's bullshit. One of the reasons that I found that situation you were talking about many years ago in California so utterly intolerable is how much of other people's mean, passive-aggressive, petty bullshit I had to put up with. Like That was my life, like a fire hose of petty, passive-aggressive crap. And one of the cool things about if you're a smart entrepreneur and you stay focused, it's possible that you can love working with your customers and you don't have to put up with stuff like that. But look, it's not all upside being an entrepreneur. I was speaking with someone who owned a business for 20 years and recently decided to go get a job just a few days ago. And one of the things he said to me was, I was behind the ball in my industry. He said I was becoming a dinosaur. And I didn't have that hustle in me to adjust and to you know, make it work and to make it work for my customers. And I traded it in. And I decided uh, if I just could go do a good job for an employer, then I could focus back on doing my work well, you know, and traded in all that stress of having to reinvent yourself and having to convince other people that it's worth investing in. We can just sum that up by called the hustle. That's the hustle. And it really never goes away. I mean, you can put it up there on the shelf for a couple months, maybe a year here or there. We have friends, Ian, who are in different stratospheres of wealth. And this existential question just keeps coming down the pike. And maybe it's the question that drives so many of us to be here in the very first place, which is, we want to ask that question, but oftentimes people get sick of it and it can be exhausting in a different way. I'm like thinking about this as you're saying it. And for me, it's like you're reaffirming for me, like why it's worth fighting for these things, right? So your friend that like went back to work, like uh, maybe he doesn't value his time as much as I do. That's okay. As long as he's made that judgment about himself and his time and he's honest about it, right? But for me, like I could never imagine giving up my eight hours a day to someone else. And actually, I've run the thought experiment, Dan. I'm sure you have too. Like, At what cost and for how many years would you be willing to do that? And maybe, maybe there is a number that would make sense that I would set my family up for life. Oh, yeah. But you wouldn't be a good entrepreneur if there wasn't one. Exactly. Unfortunately, I don't have, I don't have like any serious skill set. So I have never been tempted back into the workforce. So to recap... We're on point number four. The first three were you're not desperate enough. Point number two, your business failures have made you more employable. Number three, you've exchanged the existential hustle for the political hustle. And we're going to get to point number four of the five reasons you won't be an entrepreneur next year. You're not willing to get real about your 
finances. Man, does this always have to come up? I feel like every show we're talking about personal finances. I almost couldn't finish the sentence. It was so boring, but it's so true. Again, like this is not an exhaustive list. And by the way, we're getting to my number one point. But again, it just comes back sometimes to meat and potatoes, bread and water, brick and mortar, the basics, man. There's just so many people who get into entrepreneurship who think it's going to be the lottery ticket, who thinks like the next launch, you know, the next investor, the next customer. Trust me, let me get ahead of you. It's not going to make the difference. It's just not. The difference is the basics. The difference is the frameworks. The difference is the things that you do every single day. And the foundation of all of that is your personal finances. If you have enough money, cash money in the bank to cover your expenses for the next 10 years, guess what? You might not be doing much, but you're an entrepreneur in my book. Yep. That works for me, man. (laughs) What are you doing? Mowing the lawn, browsing the newspaper, looking for opportunities. That's entrepreneurship. There you go. I'll take it. That's a base level. And again, we didn't mention a business. We didn't mention managing employees, none of that. It all comes down to being able to opt out of that fundamental rat race, the hamster wheel, and to own your own time and to put it to work in enterprising ventures as you choose. And it just doesn't get done without the money. Here's a thing too about your personal finances, and we don't need to go into like the nitty gritty of like where you should be or anything like that. But the question is, do you have enough time to be lucky, right? Like, do you have enough runway to be able to extend yourself out as long as it might take to be able to have success? And I think a lot of times, like when you get into entrepreneurship, like you don't know how long that's going to take. So that's why we advocate not having debt. That's why we advocate lowering your expenses as low as they can possibly be. Because like so many times people are working on something for such a long time, like a year, two years, about to have a breakthrough, start meeting the right kinds of people. They identify that there's an opportunity, but they know it's going to take like another year to make that manifest into real money. And they go, ah, can't quite cut it. Like I'm kind of running out of money. So it's so important that you find yourself in a position where you can work for a long time without getting paid. Now, let me go on the other side of the fence here. If there's anybody hate listening to this podcast right now, I know there's a couple of you out there listening to us saying, I'm just listening to these guys because they drive me crazy. And knowing that they're such idiots makes me feel good about myself. That's nice. One of the things that those people are thinking is you guys got lucky and you got mediocre lucky, not even good lucky. Go on. Well, I got news for everybody listening to this. You're damn stinking right we got lucky. And so did everybody who either got a good job or a good business. These things require a great deal of luck. And putting yourself in good situations around good people and giving yourself a lot of exposure to opportunities and failing at a lot of things. And the reality is, is that luck comes around rarely and you got to give yourself a lot of exposure to it. And that's why having a financial plan and having putting a lot of time into this is absolutely critical to making it work. And yeah, I just wrote verbatim on our list here. Didn't have enough time to be lucky. Yeah, it takes a long time to be lucky. And if what you're doing is you have a million financial responsibilities and debt and a job and responsibility, all this, and then you expect like the one weekender that you spend on the one conference you fly out to or the couple nights a week that you manage to put the kids to bed early and and fire up the old computer. If you think luck's going to strike then, well, good luck with that. Just a little story here about luck. And as it strikes in terms of lightning, I just want to mention this in case the lightning is the enemy one day. As you know, I spent a lot of time 
outside. When I was in uh, Spain with you two years ago, I was riding my bike up a mountain and it started to rain and pour and thunder. Anyways, it got pretty bad. So I jumped over the guardrail and like hid in the trees, right? And lightning struck like a sound I'd never heard before. It was like a metallic sound. Like it must have been 10 feet away. And I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. I never heard that before. It was also very frightening at the time. Yesterday in Texas, I'm uh, outside, walk out to the shop. Actually, the whole family's with me. We're standing in the shop, and I hear the same noise. (laughs) And outside, lightning had struck like 10 feet away. The point I'm trying to get out here is like, I might get struck by lightning at one point in my life. (laughs) And it's not because I'm lucky. It's because I put myself in bad situations a lot (laughs) where I might get hit by lightning. So similar to the entrepreneurial thing, right? You have to put yourself in these types of situations where you might get hit by lightning. Before we get to point number five, I got to repeat a refrain that I've always found compelling that people don't, but I just still think it is. This whole business of having to be in the right place at the right time, it's just slightly misstated. You have to be in a good place at a good time. The former statement suggests that, oh, you know, everything came together and they were so lucky and it's not replicatable. Well, sorry, it is replicatable. It is possible for you to improve the amount of time that you spend around good people in good situations. And that's increasing your chances of having lightning strike, so to speak. Number five, reason that you won't be an entrepreneur next year. Got to preface this one again. A great deal of the percentage of people that truly want to become entrepreneurs that sort of get funneled out the other side. This is the number one reason that I see. I'd love to hear your feedback on it, whether you think I'm right or wrong, but it's having negative personal issues or personal patterns. You know, entrepreneurship is a very powerful thing. We often say it's like putting on an Iron Man suit. It's just sort of an extension of your personality. It can be. And you build these systems that sort of look like you at first, and then they get bigger than you, and, they, and you continue to then work on the system. Well, it all starts with you. And sometimes it's easy to misinterpret which part of it is you and which part of it is the system. A common example would be, say, a freelancer who between like three to six months, they're good at getting clients and stuff like that. You know, they've got a good group of clients, but it just so turns out that about the four or five month mark every time that client, you know, ends up souring and goes away and like nothing really bad happens, but just, you know, the client doesn't want to stick around. And, you know, it's pretty easy to say, well, you know, I just need to find a better market or I think I'm just always charging too much or there's always ways to blame the system. And sometimes the system is to blame and you do need to find a new niche. But a lot of times it's that I have a passive aggressive manner that pisses off my clients and that they don't tell me about because I don't solicit critical feedback. Oftentimes it is just that. It is just a negative personal issue or a negative personal pattern that with a little bit of introspection, maybe going to see a therapist, maybe having a deep dive with a mastermind group or a partner or a good friend, if you can really dig down on these things, it can be extremely powerful. I'm no expert at this, but I just want to say this is the number one reason you will not be an entrepreneur next year is that there's something that you do That's a habit, that's a habitual thing, that's a pattern in your life, and it could be very, very deep, something that you don't want to address, that is actually the core cause of your business relationships repeatedly going sour. The reason I think this is so hard, Dan, is because 
a lot of times the people that are closest to us will not tell us these types of things because they care about us and they see it as like damaging. You and I, Dan, are the kinds of people I think generally that try and put ourselves out there in a way that makes it okay for people to tell us about our blind spots. So I think one of the things that you can do if you know that you might have a couple blind spots, right? You know that it might be impacting your business. One is that you could go seek some therapy. The other thing is you could start asking people around you to tell you the truth about what they see as happening. And some of those people might be your clients. And that's a very difficult position to put yourself in, but I think one that will ultimately be beneficial if you care about being an entrepreneur in the long run. You know, if you suspect you might fall into this category, keep in mind that those people that are close to you are like, probably well aware of these things about you and they're very insulated from being in a position to tell you. If you suspect this is, goes a little deeper and might have been repeating over the course of years, even those that are closest to you, they're not going to be lining up to tell you about this necessarily. You're going to have to like build trust back, right? Because you may have broken that trust with them. And that's a process that could take a very long time. So be conscious of that. It's not a quick fix. The other thing is, look, there's no one free from this. Just some of these patterns affect the entrepreneurship game differently than other ones. You know, I got just as much whack crap going on in my head than the next person. Just so happens that with whatever I, game I was involved in to get started, I got lucky. There was some margin in there and it worked out for me. Not to say that those negative personal issues that I may have now aren't currently affecting any venture that I get involved in. Of course they are. So there's always an upside opportunity for everybody here. I don't mean to single people out or anything like that, but this is where the action is, you know? And I don't think it's any any surprise at all that a deep dive into entrepreneurship is often simultaneously accompanied by a deep dive into self-development because people can understand right away, like, man, if I develop myself, that's going to have a direct import into these ventures that I'm doing. Just don't start a self-help business. You know, not in the first year. <laughs> not in the first year. It's not fun. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that, you know? That's the bonus reason that you won't be an entrepreneur next year. It's just it's just intolerable. Yeah, you started a self-help business. <laughs> in conclusion, Dan, I, I want to add one thing to this list of five that we have is a final thing. And this kind of goes with my personality. So maybe this is just a me thing. I'm not really sure. But I want to say it this way, but I don't want to mean it the way that people probably think in the traditional sense it means. Burn the bridges behind you. Ooh. When I say that, I think people are probably thinking like, oh, you know, cut off your family or your employers, blah, blah, blah. That's not what I mean. I know what you mean. Let me say it in a different way. You mean put the drawbridge up and throw the key back to your good friend on the other side and, and wish them well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. Don't leave yourself an option for going backwards, because if you leave yourself the option, if the bridge is still there, you will take it back when you get scared. You will take it back when you run out of money. You will take it back when you run out of confidence. Those people that are moving forward that don't have an option to go back will succeed because, again, back to point number one, their back is against the wall, and there is no other direction besides forward. I can't think of a way to extend the metaphor, but I've seen this to be true on many, many occasions, Ian, is that... It's not until that bridge is gone that the paths forward illuminate. It's almost like a structural thing in many cases. Like it just simply, they will not appear unless what you had is gone. Again, I mean, it's tough to advise that people would do that. But the reality is, is it does seem to be true that 
those that are in that position are the ones that can often make it work. Finally, have a little bit of faith in yourself. You know, one of the things we talk about is repeated business failures. Well, get in line because we all got them. A lot of them. We launched like what, 85 things, you know, over 100 projects over the last few years, Ian, over the last decade. We got one project right now. One. (laughs) Our hit rate is horrible. It's horrible. It's like, don't let this stuff get you down. You don't have to over identify with it as like, I'm the type of person that, you know, fails. This stuff is supposed to be hard. You know, you don't have to always succeed with everything you do. You just got to find that one thing that's going to work. All right, Dan, I'm feeling pumped up. I feel like uh, here's another 10 years of no jobs. Yeah, we hope so. Let's hope that none of these reasons over apply to us. We're curious, do they apply to you? Do you have any other thoughts on this or any other indicators that might put your entrepreneurial career at risk? And by the way, not necessarily a bad thing for everybody. Like you said, Ian, there's that dream job out there for everybody, including me and you. Call me. I got a number. Call us. (laughs) Well, anyway, thanks for tuning in this week. We had a blast and we will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.